Happy Tuesday, Thoughtvolutionists. Hopefully, you are either about to have a wonderful start of your day, or perhaps that day is just now wrapping up. No matter what, I am still your host, Stefan Dubier, and your podcast game is on point because you have decided to listen to the one and only Thoughtvolution, the podcast where the thoughts of others meet evolving minds. And today's episode could very well be life changing. Friends, if you had the chance to save somebody's life without dangerously risking your own, would you do it? I'm not talking about running into a burning building to save five children. No, I'm not referring to working in a war zone either. What I'm asking is something that merely requires you to make a choice, a conscious decision, and to perhaps undergo a minimally invasive procedure. There are several things you could do. Now, a few weeks ago, we spoke about organ donation. That's a simple one, at least here in the US. You just tell the people at the DMV that you want to be listed as an organ donor, and most likely you won't ever need to think about it again, because the donation process does not begin until you are actually deceased. There is also the possibility to donate blood or plasma. Here in South Carolina, you can often do that in a grocery store parking lot right after you have finished your shopping. My guest Tyler did something else. His grandpa died of leukemia when Tyler was in eighth grade. If you have listened to this podcast before, you already know that beauty sometimes shines brightest when it is born through tragedy. Tyler knew instantly that he always wanted to honor his grandpa's legacy. So at the age of 18, instead of getting a tattoo, he signed up for Be The Match, a stem cell donation program. Many people are never called to actually donate, but Tyler was, and the guy who received his stem cells and him were a 95% match. There's a lot of beauty in this process because it goes to show that as humans, we have a lot more in common with each other than we think. Tyler is 29 now. He identifies as non-binary and uses the pronouns he, him, or they, them. Considering that Tyler lives in the very conservative state of Texas, we will most certainly talk about his life as a genderqueer person in that environment. One of Tyler's dreams would be becoming a TV host for a game show or a competition show, although he also very much enjoys his work as a life coach. He believes in authentic conversations and connections, and I hope that you will feel inspired today, Thoughtvolutionists. Perhaps it is Tyler's story that gives you a boost today to become a stem cell donor yourself. Ideally, if you are between 18 and 44 years old, because that is considered the best age range for that process. I cannot wait for you to meet this true lifesaver. Let's give Tyler a warm welcome as he is here to not only share his story, but to also help all of us understand what we can do to make a real difference. Tyler, thank you so much for being here with me today. Obviously, our conversation will revolve a lot around kindness and your conscious decision to save the life of a fellow human being. But to start out, what was something kind you witnessed or perhaps experienced yourself in the past few weeks? Well, that's a great question. 
And it actually had had me stop and think for a minute because I don't know. Sadly, I don't know if we see enough kindness on a day to day basis. But recently, even something as small as like I was at the grocery store and I watched an older gentleman let like a mom with kids like go in front of him at the like at the grocery store like to check out and it was so small but i think it's those little acts of kindness that make the biggest impacts on our day-to-day lives and he was just so he was so he was so sweet about it he was like he he looked at the lady and he goes you look like you have you know a lot going on why don't you go in front of me so you can get your kids you know out of the store and like get them going and so it was it was not like a mean thing like the kids were being annoying it was like he noticed that the mom was really struggling you know with the kids and he was just like here go in front of me like you've got a lot you're you're handling and i just thought wow what if more people just did little acts of kindness like that because we are always in such a rush and we are always just thinking about ourselves and that guy just thought about somebody else uh, in that moment. And I thought that was a really nice act of kindness. You told me you identify as genderqueer non-binary. For our listeners out there who may not be completely familiar with all of the colors of the rainbow, can you explain what that means? Yeah, great, great question. So I think I think terms like like non-binary, genderqueer, any of these, any of these kind of terms are all individually focused and individually specific so like i have my own definition and it may not be how somebody else who identifies as like genderqueer or non-binary you know they might they might take it a different way so this is just personally how i view it so when i when i say that i'm like genderqueer what that means to me is that i don't subscribe to the harsh binary that we live in so like man woman i identify as and i recognize that i myself i was born as a man and i hold myself in that space but i also am not afraid to be fluid in my expression in what i do in how i show up in in the world and so you know now as i've gotten older i recognize that like for me I'm more comfortable saying I'm non-binary because I don't subscribe to the harsh binary that is man and woman. You know, I feel like I feel like as human beings, we are all actually very fluid and I think we're very we live in this spectrum. And so I I just have just recently started to kind of express that side of me and express like living beyond the binary and like it opens for me personally it opens myself up to more creativity more expression um and i just don't feel so constricted in terms of how i can express myself and how i can show up in the world and so for me being non-binary means living beyond the binary of man and woman and being in this fluid spectrum space where I'm allowed to live just colorfully as Tyler. How was life for you growing up? You told me that your parents' crystal meth addiction was one of the biggest challenges, if not 
the biggest challenge of your life? So my growing up, it, it's interesting. Growing up, I didn't I didn't recognize that my parents were addicts. And growing up, they weren't crystal meth addicts. You know, crystal meth was like the crescendo of their addiction problems. It was like it was like the climax. Like that was the one that just really shocked everyone. And growing up, I guess I didn't realize, you know, I I didn't realize that my parents had a problem because, you know, when you're little and you grow up in an environment, that environment is normal to you. And so it wasn't until I actually got into my 20s and I started to talk to other adults and I got into therapy where I realized I was like, wow, I guess I didn't grow up in like the quote unquote normal household because growing up, both of my parents were, were pretty loving people. They really, I think loved each other. They loved their kids the best that they could. Um, They provided the best that they could. I mean, we grew up, we grew up like dirt poor and a lot of, I realize now that a lot of the money that we never had was going to, you know, to alcohol it was going to cigarettes it was going to marijuana and then eventually i guess they got into cocaine and then they got into crystal meth like you know and so a lot of their priorities i think growing up was like their own addictions and i'm talking like when i say addiction you know i think we hear the word addiction and we think something really bad like crystal meth or heroin but like people have lots of addictions. Like I, I believe we all have an addiction to something, whether or not we're aware of it or, or not. And so my parents growing up, like they were addicted to cigarettes. They were addicted to alcohol. They were addicted to, you know, marijuana. And they were addicted to, at one point, cocaine and then eventually crystal meth. And so, you know, it was like, it was like for them, I think, both of my parents were more drawn to being becoming addicts. And I think some people have, you know, more addiction tendencies. But yeah, like growing up, like everybody thinks like, oh, it must have been like a terrible, terrible life or or things like that. And it was like, no, for me, it was like a normal childhood. You know, on the weekends, my parents partied and they partied hard and they drank a lot. And when they drank, they argued and they fought and they screamed at each other. And, you know, being eight years old, I thought this was a normal part of life. I thought this is what parents did. I thought this is what it meant to be married to somebody was like to scream at each other on a Friday night after drinking, you know, too many drinks. And so it was to me, it was normal. But then as I grew up and as I started going to therapy, and I started talking to other adults about all of this, I realized that my parents' behaviors and actions were not quote-unquote normal. And so, yeah, that, that was my childhood. was like it was normal to me, but then as I got older, I realized, oh, that wasn't as normal as it could have been. Where are your parents now in their lives? And how is your relationship with them now that you realize 
that addiction is something they struggled with for probably the better part of their lives. So both of my parents are, at this point, to the best of my knowledge, both of them are clean. They are in recovery. They are doing the best that they can. Last year, they got a divorce, which was honestly probably the best decision that the two of them could have made. It was one of their most probably responsible decisions that they've ever made in their lives was to divorce each other. And they live in Illinois and I'm, I'm in Texas, so I don't get to see them, you know, too often. And our relationship now is we are healing and it's not perfect. It's not like you don't get to the, you don't get to the end of this journey and you know, everything just goes back to normal or everything is, you know, like rainbows and sunshine and butterflies. There's pain there. There is hurt. Uh, There is some anger there that I have towards my parents still. And so I am, I am healing and they are healing. And I guess that's how I would describe our current relationship is that we are healing together and individually. In addition to everything you went through as a child, you also began to realize that you were different from what society likes to dictate as the quote-unquote norm. Were most of the people around you accepting of your uniqueness? And is there a coming-out story you wish to share? Yeah, so growing up in Texas, it was very interesting. Because if you know anything about Texas, it's the South. It's the Bible Belt. It's full of conservatives and Christians and everybody who thinks one specific way. And I grew up kind of Catholic, so I was in a church. And the rhetoric there is, you know, homosexuality is a sin. And, you know, you're a bad person if you if you feel this way or if you act on these temptations. And so growing up in the South, growing up kind of in the Catholic church, and I say kind of because I only went to church every once in a while and we always left early. And so we weren't like devote Catholics, but I was there and I heard the rhetoric and their messages. And so growing up in this space, I struggled immensely with my identity. I struggled immensely with accepting myself for who I was, who I am wholeheartedly. And it was it was challenging. So my coming out story, if you will, started when I was 21. It was I was 21. No, 20, 21, somewhere around that, that age, 2021. 20, and I remember sitting on the back patio with my grandma and my grandma she drinks a little bit and sometimes she drinks a little bit too much and she her and I we were having this conversation and she looks at me and she goes okay Tyler I just have to know she goes are you gay and she had asked me this question so many times before and I always said no 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 And that night I just said, yes, you know, and I came out to my grandma. She was the first person I came out to. And she, like I said, she had had a few Manhattans, so she was really feeling it. 
and she gets really excited and she goes, oh my God, I'm so happy. I finally beat Joan Rivers at something like Joan Rivers, the comedian. And I was like, what? I said, where, where is this coming from? Like, I was so confused in that moment. I was like, what, this is, where does Joan Rivers come into this conversation? And, and it was not the, the reaction that I was expecting. And she goes, Joan Rivers always wanted a gay grandson. And now I have one. Like that was her, that was her big like celebration. And so she accepted me wholeheartedly. She always has. And, you know, I think over, over the years and through reflection, looking back, everyone in my family has really grown to accept me and love me. And there was, there was family members who knew before I even came out that I was different, you know, that I was, that I was gay. And, you know, but, but when you're in it, when it's, when it's your coming out, it's very, very terrifying because you don't know how loved ones are going to react or how friends are going to react. And so it's a very scary process. And so after I told my grandma, I went, she goes, she goes, you got to tell your mom and dad. And I said, I will. I said, I'm working on that. I said, this is a process. And I actually went away on a, on a vacation and I get a text message from grandma and she goes, she goes, all's well, just told your dad. And my heart sank because I wasn't ready to tell my dad. I wasn't ready to like come out to my parents. And I think one thing that like she doesn't realize even to to this day was that like she took a uh, she took an opportunity away from me. She took like this was my coming out process. And it was not it was not her like she didn't have the right to say that, to tell that, to share that. And so we were talking about this actually recently, me and my grandma, and that that was now like eight years ago. And I've healed a lot since then, and I've grown a lot since then. And so like I don't feel angry at her anymore. I used to. I used to be very angry that she told my dad and robbed me of my own coming out process. But truthfully, I don't know if I would have ever actually told my dad because I was terrified to do that. And so, you know, looking back, she kind of actually helped out a little bit. Um, but in the moment, it was it was absolutely it was absolutely terrifying because I wasn't ready to tell my dad and to be like exposed like that. It felt very vulnerable. And so, yeah, that's my that's my coming out process. It was like it was not how they picture it in the movies. It, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It just happened. And after after that process, like I finally felt free to be me. And it was a really beautiful thing. You also mentioned to me that you share a deep bond with your grandfather. Can you describe him and the relationship you had with him? Yeah. Growing up, my grandfather, we called him Papa. You know, growing growing up, I, d I don't think I really had, like, that deep of a bond, truthfully. Like, I, it, was, it was a typical, like, grandpa, grandson kind of relationship. 
you know, he took he took me to the park. He took me to the zoo. He was a golf pro for the for the city of Fort Worth, and he tried to teach me golf, which was not fun because <laughs> I always would just get angry and want to throw clubs. And so it was, you know, growing up, it was it was kind of like a just a a typical grandpa grandson relationship, and we just you know, we just had a bond. Like he was, he was Papa, you know, he took me places. We had fun together. We shared, you know, ice cream together. You know, it was, it was just that, like, it was just that typical grandpa, grandson relationship in the beginning. And then as I got older, it changed and his, what he went through ended up changing that bond and that relationship and it made a, a a lasting kind of imprint on me. Do you still remember when your grandpa got sick and how his leukemia progressed? How did you learn about his passing and what did that do to your young heart? So I think my grandfather, I think Papa had leukemia. I don't know, I'm I must have been maybe in fourth or fifth grade. So I was still pretty young when he got sick and i there was i i i just had like some i think some foundational memories of like going to the hospital with him and watching him go through you know chemo treatments and seeing him go bald and just get sick like i think i think anybody who's watched a loved one go through cancer like it it really impacts them in multiple different ways and i think being so little like i didn't understand what was happening and then he my my grandfather went through a stem cell transplant during his leukemia journey and his brother Donny actually like flew in came to texas and donated stem cells and i was i think just really fascinated by this and again i must have been like fifth or sixth grade when this happened and i was just so so fascinated by the process and the idea that like a part of his brother went into my grandfather and like this whole like i i don't know i it's really like i've never really done a lot of deep thought on this it was just a really impactful moment it was like to see another human give something to their brother in in the hopes that like it would give it would give my grandpa life you know would give him a second chance and it kind of did you know the 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 donation that my grandfather received he got like a he got another five years you know to his life that he would not have been able to have if it wasn't for that donation process and that for me was like super impactful and i just remember being in awe of like that whole process and so i knew like speed up a couple of years and like when my grandfather finally passed away i knew i wanted to do something that was going to honor him and his journey and his legacy and i remember the day that he died it was we i was at home and it must have been like four o'clock in the morning and I just hear like a blood curdling cry coming from the hallway 
and it was my mom and she was breaking down because I think my grandma had called her or I don't know who called like like if she called or whatever but like my mom got the phone call that her dad had passed and I will never forget just the blood curdling cry that came from the hallway and I just I I think I knew in that moment at like four o'clock in the morning with crusty eyes that I was going to do something in honor of my grandfather. And the one thing that I didn't want to do, which I feel like everybody does is they get a tattoo and I have, I have tattoos. I love tattoos. I think it's a, you know, I think tattoos are beautiful, but I, I wanted to do something bigger, you know? And so that's what led me to actually joining the be the match registry which is like the national registry for bone marrow and stem cell donors. Like you can join this list and be potentially matched with somebody who might need uh, bone marrow or a stem cell transplant. And that's how I honored my grandfather was I joined the registry because I knew that if I could provide somebody else hope like Donnie provided our family when he donated to his brother, like that is just like the ultimate way to remember somebody. And so that's what I did. So walk us through the process of becoming a stem cell donor. What is that like? And what is your message to anyone out there considering to register as well, but still being somewhat uncertain about the whole ordeal? To become a Be The Match donor, it's actually really, really simple. You, When I when I turned 18, I went to their website, bethematch.org, and there's a button that you click to like add your name to the registry. And so you fill out the form, and then they send you a little kit in the mail. And all you do is you swab like the inside of your cheek with like a cotton swab and you send that back to them so that they get your DNA. So they have like your DNA makeup on file and that's it. Like it literally takes about one minute to fill out the online form. And then it takes maybe, you know, two to three minutes to, you know, swab your cheek and, you know, do the testing or do the DNA collection and you send that out in in the mail and then you're on the list and you're just kind of waiting around until you get a call and i think this is what for anybody who is who wants to do something like this or is curious about doing something like this and has like all the questions number 1 i would say go to their website bethematch.org and you know listen to donor stories listen to you know look at their their FAQs and also recognize that you can join the list, the registry. And if you do get picked, you know, there you, you're not committed to actually then saying yes to the donation process. And so I'm always, I think, advocating for people to join the registry just to be on the registry because they need you know, that database, they need those potential donors. And also, if you do get called, you are 
in no way obligated to saying yes to actually going through the process. And there's a whole team there that will support you, that will answer the questions, that will, you know, help you make the right choice. And so join just to join knowing that there's like a no obligation. That's what I'm always telling people. When did you find out that you had been matched with somebody and what thoughts went through your mind and how quickly did you have to go in for the actual procedure? So I joined the registry. I was 18. I got the call that I was a potential match five years later, uh, which is pretty quick because some people join the registry and then they never get called. And so the fact that, you know, it was like only a five year, I guess, wait for me was was pretty cool. And they called me. I was I was actually at work and I missed the call and I got a voicemail and I immediately ran out of the office. I was like, I got to go like this is an important call. And I called I called them back and it's a it's a patient coordinator or like a like a donor coordinator that that you work with. And it was basically just like, hey, your name came up as a potential match. This is what it means. They gave me all of the details of like of like what happens if you want to move forward. And this is when this is when they kind of they ask you, they say, do you want to move forward in the process? And of course, I said yes. And within like within like seven days, I had. I had an appointment set up to do initial blood work. So they took a whole bunch of blood from me. And then it was like, the whole process was like, hurry up and wait. It was like, it was like, okay, like fill out these forms and then we'll get the blood test set up. And then we'll wait for those results. And then we'll look at the numbers. And then it's like, it's it's like a lot of hurry up and wait. So I got the call. It was like November the initial call that I had been matched and that I that I was, you know, being asked to move forward in the donation process. I did blood work. I did an initial like physical kind of test thing just to assess my overall health. And this was like November and December. So all within like, you know, about six weeks. And then you just kind of wait and things go like quiet for a little while and you don't know what's happening. And then it was January of, it was like January of, of, of the next year. So like, like just a month later, I got a call again that said, Hey, you're like the perfect match and we need to do this. And that's when it really gets real. So like the initial testing, like the blood work, the initial like doctor's visit, you know, they're, they're just, they're, you're not confirmed until you're like confirmed, you know? And so it was a lot of like, I just kept saying yes, because it was like, okay, well, I'm this deep in now I'm this deep in. And then in January, they called me and they were like, you are like a really, really good match. And we need to act now. And when that call happened, it was, it was all within a month they had they had me confirmed i said yes that i was going to move forward and do the donation they scheduled a second like doctor's appointment to just assess one more time that i was fully ready to go then because i was doing a stem cell donation 
Uh, I did a week's worth of like injections, like shots to help kind of amp up my stem cell production. And then, and then I went in for, for the actual donation process. So within like a month, I was confirmed as like the good match. And then I went to the doctor's appointment. I started doing the shots and then it was time to donate. So it's a very fast process once you get confirmed. Now, walk us through the procedure itself. What was that like and how long did it take for you to recover afterwards? The day of the donation, I showed up. I I donated at a Carter Blood Center like I where you just go and like donate normal blood. I that's where I that's where I did my stem cell donation, which is happens like a lot of times like you'll actually go to a hospital and like you'll sit in a hospital bed and you know they'll, they'll they'll take it there but for whatever reason where i was at like the the center was at the carter blood center so we showed up i think i got there at like seven o'clock in the morning it was me and my grandma which was cute because again it was her husband that passed and so she wanted to be there with me during the donation process and we showed up and it was like seven o'clock in the morning and the whole the whole process of donating took about eight hours and the way the process works and for anybody who is like afraid of needles i'm sorry but i have to go there it's they the way the way the process works is they put they put a needle in one arm and they put a needle in in the other arm and what they do is they pull your blood out of one arm um and it goes into this machine and this machine extracts the stem cells and so the stem cells co collect in like a little baggie and then the rest of your blood is pumped back into into your arm uh into your other arm and that like and i have no problem with needles so it was not an issue for me the i will tell you i've I, it was the biggest needle i've ever seen in my life so again if you are like really terrified of needles this might be something to consider if you're wanting to take part in this process like it, it's tough and you have to basically just sit still for eight hours and that's the hardest part is sitting still for eight hours and they had me they had me squeezing one of those like stress balls for eight hours you know to keep you know to keep the blood pumping and circulating and things like that and so for me the most uncomfortable part was sitting for eight hours like completely still by the end of the eight hours my hand was tired from pumping you know the the stress ball and when you stand up after the donation Again, they've pulled out a lot of blood from your body and you stand up and it's like all of the blood rushes to different parts of your body. So that was the weirdest sensation was like standing up after the donation and feeling like your blood flow to different parts of your body. It was like a full body tingling sensation. But I was back to work like two days later. Like, you know, I took... I took one day off just because I could. It was a good excuse to take off from work, but like I could have theoretically gone back to work the next day. It's just a full day commitment of like sitting in a chair and letting a machine kind of extract your stem cells. So, really simple process for the donors. Like, I really think 
It's if you can stomach the needles, if you can sit still for eight hours, it's a really doable process that anybody can kind of get through. You mentioned to me that the recipient of your stem cells is someone named Mike. How open is the whole process in terms of personal information and privacy protection? And did you learn what happened to Mike since? So the entire process is very, the identity of who you are donating to is sealed. So when I got the initial call and they said that I was a potential match for somebody, the only thing that they could tell me was the the recipient was a male who was 59 and he lived in this in the united states that was it um so it doesn't you know you can't really find out who you're donating to and so you go through the whole process donating anonymously and it's the same for you so when when they told mike that they had found a donor they told mike that you know he was um like it was a male 24 you know, who lived in the state. So it was the same kind of thing. So I didn't know him. He didn't know me. I went into the whole donation process completely and anonymously. And I didn't know who Mike was until Mike actually made the call and said, Hey, I'm ready to like talk to my donor and the way they do it at be the match. And it varies country to country. I think in the United States, I think you have to wait I think it's a minimum of 12 months or 18 months before you're allowed to like communicate with your donor. And in some countries, it's like two years. Some countries, you're never allowed to communicate with the donor, with like your recipient. And so when I got through the donation process, I just went on with my life. And it wasn't until about... 18 months or 19 months later that I received an email from Be The Match that said, hey, your recipient is wanting to connect and they and what you do is you fill out this form and you tell them like how much information you want to give your donor, you, the, the recipient. And, and so I had total control over how much information I wanted to share with Mike. And our first communication ended up just being an email. Like he sent me an email. He introduced himself. He introduced his wife. He told me a little bit about his family. And we just started emailing back and forth. And that was how our communication started. Today, Mike is my blood brother. You know, we share the same blood. We share the same DNA, which is crazy. Like if they take Mike's blood, it's my blood type it's my like it would come back as tyler hall which is insane and so we're legit blood brothers and i've been to visit him he lives in ohio i've been to visit him several times now we've met up and he's you know he's like a we're we're blood brothers but he's also like a second dad too because he's he's older and we've just cre- we've just created such a really special bond from this whole process. And so I feel very grateful to have this bond, to have this connection. But I also want to let people know who are listening, who are thinking about this, is that, you know, not all stories are a happy ending. 
Now, I'm sure a lot of our listeners wonder, do you get paid for your donation? And who covers all of the associated medical expenses? You do not get paid for donations. Everything is, this is all volunteer-based. And Be The Match, they actually cover all medical expenses. So they cover, you know, lab work, hospital stays, if you need that. Like, it's all covered. All you do is show up and and donate. And what was really cool was when I was going through the process, um, when I got the call that I was a match, I was actually living in Chicago. And when I had registered to donate, I had registered in the state of Texas. And they asked me if I wanted to donate in Chicago or if I wanted to go back to like my home base in Fort Worth. And so I actually chose to go back to Fort Worth and they paid for my flights and to go to and from uh, Chicago. And so I got like a little vacation out of out of the um, out of the donation process because my family was in Texas and I was alone in Chicago, like going to college. And I said, no, I would really like if to be, you know, with my family through this process. And so they covered, you know, flights and all of that good stuff. And so, yeah, and you don't get paid, but you don't have any expenses as the, you know, as the donor. And so it's all volunteer paced, but there's no costs to go through the process. Where do you see your own story leading in the future? Clearly, you're not done helping people. Tell us about your work as a life coach and your own plans for the future. My whole journey really has taken me to this place of becoming a life coach. And it, it's really interesting because when I reflect back and I look at all of the different layers and the different stories and the different moments that have shaped me, it kind of makes sense that I fell into this space of, of becoming a life coach. And you know, where I'm currently at right now is I'm actually building a business. I'm building my my coaching business. And my area of specialty is that I am actually now working with other coaches who are looking to kind of start their own businesses. And so I help coaches with personal branding, with marketing, with their message, uh, with social media. And so I do... I do more of like that marketing and messaging and branding side of um, business coaching for other coaches. Because I think for me, when I when I said yes to becoming a life coach and I started going down this path of coaching, what was really hard for me was how do I take all of these elements that make up Tyler and turn them into a personal brand? How do I tell my story? You know, and that for coaches, you know, anybody who who's a coach, they know the importance of their of their story, of their message. And I think what what makes it really challenging is there's so many layers to it and there's so many details and so many, you know, twists and turns that it's like, how do you create a cohesive story? you know, that people connect to and resonate with. And so that's what I kind of do with with coaches, with entrepreneurs, anybody who's really kind of building out their personal brand is that I help them bring cohesion to their story and to their message 
so that they're then able to go market that. And so that's what I'm doing right now. That's my coaching business. I'm also working really slowly on a book. It's going to be a memoir about my my journey through my 20s. And so it's going to cover some of the things that we talked about today in the podcast, like my parents' addiction, you know, doing the being a stem cell donor, just like some of the incredible challenges, opportunities, twists and turns that happened to me as I was navigating my 20s, because I really believe that your 20s are so foundational in laying the ground for your future. And so with this book, I hope to help other 20-year-olds who are navigating life kind of better make sense of this sometimes nonsensical, I don't even know if that's a word, um, journey that they find themselves in. So those are my two biggest projects right now. It's my my coaching business and it's putting together this book. And I'm just absolutely so in love with everything that I'm doing right now. It's 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 wonderful. Now I have to ask are you also actively pursuing your dream of becoming a game or competition show host? With all of the cool virtual media options we have nowadays, I was able to create this podcast. Perhaps you could launch your own show format on TikTok or Instagram. What are your thoughts? That is a really fantastic question. And I've never, I've never actually given it much thought until you asked that question. So We'll see. That's how that's that's what we'll say is we'll see because I'm always open to opportunities. I'm always open to doing and trying new things. And so who knows? Maybe maybe you'll see me very soon hosting my own, you know, talk show or game show or or something like that because yeah, I think it's definitely it's a big part of who I am and it's a big part of my brand and, you know. Now one more time, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about you, how can they reach out? How can they get in contact with you? The easiest way to connect with me is, is on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Life Coach Tyler Hall on Instagram. You will find all the links to all of the other places that I live online there on Instagram. You can also check out my website. It's www.lifecoachtyler.com. And then if you want to email me, you can email me at tyler at lifecoachtyler.com. So those are kind of the three easiest ways to uh, stay connected with me. Friends, as we draw this episode to its close, let's take a moment to absorb the profound impact of Tyler's journey. His selfless act of kindness, saving a life through stem cell donation, has been nothing short of inspirational. It's awe-inspiring that such a simple, non-invasive act can forever alter the course of another person's life. If Tyler's story has moved you and you're considering following in his footsteps, please visit BeTheMatch.com. There you'll find information on how to become a stem cell donor yourself. To learn more about Tyler and his impactful work, you can visit his website at lifecoachtyler.com. But my dear friends, our voyage of discovery this season isn't just over yet. There are still a few more riveting stories left in this first season of Thoughtvolution, and we're already casting our gaze towards the horizon, towards season two. 
We are in search of inspiring individuals just like Tyler who are ready to share their stories, the highs and lows, the triumphs and the trials. In the very near future, we're taking a small pause and more details will be shared soon, so make sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website. If you have a story that you believe needs to be heard and you're ready to take that first courageous step, please visit thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. There you'll find our intake form. Please fill it out and rest assured that I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Remember, your narrative matters. You matter. Your voice deserves to be heard, and I'm eagerly waiting to hear from you. Now, if you found value in our podcast and want to support this passion project of mine, there are many ways you can do so. Please take a moment to like, comment, and subscribe on all major podcast platforms. You can also follow us on social media, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Just search for Thoughtvolution. And for those who fancy a bit of fun, join me for the occasional German lesson on TikTok. It's an interesting way to learn something new and stay connected with the Thoughtvolution community. Lastly, visit our merch store at thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. You can find all kinds of cool stuff like sweaters, t-shirts, and hats. By getting something, not only do you support this wonderful, amazing podcast, but you also carry a piece of Thoughtvolution with you, potentially sparking important conversations with those around you. Friends, the power of Tyler's story lies in the realization that we all have the potential to ignite change, to impact lives from our individual, sometimes little corners of the world. As we part ways today, I want you to reflect on this. How can you make a meaningful impact? Let's carry this question with us through the week and hopefully it stirs some thought and action. I'm looking forward to connecting again next week and until then, please be kind to each other. It really, really matters. I love you lotsies, my thoughtvolutionists.